Hello, this is Darren Pulsifer, Chief Solution Architect of Public Sector at Intel. And welcome to Embracing Digital Transformation, where we investigate effective change leveraging people, process, and technology. On today's episode, onboarding remote workers with Dennis O'Shea, founder of Mobile Mentor. Dennis, welcome to the show. Thank you, Darren. It's a privilege to be here. Thank you for inviting me as your guest. Hey, it was really interesting um, when we got hooked up and you told me about your company. You told me how, hey, um, this this really helps with what's happened with COVID in a huge way. I was all over this. I said, Dennis, you have to come on the show. A lot of my customers are and listeners are dealing with this ex- exact problem. So tell me a little bit, Dennis, how you got started with uh, Mobile Mentor, why you did it. And yeah, let's dig in. Okay, great. So I started Mobile Mentor 17 years ago, and that followed a previous career at Nokia, the cell phone and the, the networking business. And I spent 15 years in Nokia in Finland and Sweden and Switzerland and New Zealand. And while I was there, I could see a problem emerging, which was that the technology seemed to be getting ahead of people. And what I could see happening was people are buying smartphones, which are very advanced at the time, and they were not using them for anything smart. They were making phone calls <laughs> and they were sending text messages. That was about the extent of people's usage back in 2004. Yep, that's very true. And, and you could see the, 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 the network vendors were building these advanced networks that could, were capable of great things. They had lots of Intel technology in them. The cell phones were very advanced, and yet people were just doing very basic things. And I, at one stage, I was trying to sell a network solution to Orange in Switzerland. And the CEO, he, he pushed me back pretty hard. He said, why would we buy any more of this infrastructure from you? when our customers are not using what we've previously purchased. That's a pretty good point, right? It was a punch in the nose, right? And I lost the sale and and I went away with my tail between my legs and really had to think deep about um, what's going on here. And and, then, you know, why is the technology so far ahead of what consumers actually want to do with their devices? And so I left Nokia and I found a mobile mentor to solve that problem. And the way I went about it was, I hired a, an army of young, smart, tech-savvy people, and I set them up so they would go out and sit with a business customer who had just bought their first smartphone and sit with them for one hour and get it all working. Because back in 2004, getting your email working was a nightmare. You needed yes, it was. SMTP. I remember. I remember. You remember, right? Oh, yeah. You needed an SMTP server address. You needed a POP3 server address. You needed this funky little cable you would plug into the phone and into your laptop trying to sync your calendar, trying to get your numbers imported from your old phone to your new phone. You often had to change all the numbers to the plus international format so you could do roaming, trying to get web links and bookmarks was a nightmare, trying to get your music on on your smartphone was a nightmare. So we would spend an hour with somebody and get that working. So someone like yourself, you might get your first BlackBerry or your first Nokia device. Yeah, mine was a BlackBerry first. There you go. And, and getting that working and personalizing it so you could be super productive. So we, we did that. Um, we started out small at a pilot, and then we ultimately did that service for a million people in some of the big markets like Brazil and China, Australia. Um, and we validated it in New Zealand. We started there and then took it into the big markets. And we did that for a million people. So as you can imagine, we learned so much about what drives technology adoption. 
what are the triggers? What are the barriers? How do people really use technology? And we got good at understanding people and their use of technology. So for us, it was always people before technology. And then as the years went by, cell phones evolved to tablets, which evolved to laptops. And now if we think about mobile workers, they probably have two of those three devices. They got a laptop, oh. at least one smartphone, maybe a second. Maybe and probably a, a second, a company one and a personal one, yep. There you go. And so the modern knowledge workers, we know them today, are, are, are probably working from home some days, maybe from the office sometimes, in between a bit of travel. And wherever they are, they need those devices to work and, most importantly, to be secure. And that's most of the work we're doing nowadays, is helping organizations ensure that their remote workers are secure. So the organization is not getting hacked, not getting ransomed, but also ensuring those employees can be productive wherever they work. So would you say that, I mean, the remote worker, this is, this is something that just exploded with COVID, right? So I'm, I'm guessing your phone is ringing off the hook because you guys have already started engaging from the very first uh, smartphone usage. You guys were engaging in people, the people problem around the technology, security and remote workers. This is a huge, huge problem that we're seeing. So have you seen an uptick? Have you seen a big uptick? We've, we've seen a very big uptick. We've, we've been on the lucky side of the ledger in that this, the, the way we help our clients um, has been really beneficial through COVID. Now, it's interesting what you said before, but everybody needs this and everybody recognizes the need for this. That's not quite true. Oh, <laughs> there are okay. a lot of people who just grabbed their machines and they went home and security yes. <laughs> has not been a primary consideration. It really hasn't. No, I, I, I totally agree there. In fact, I think that's why we're seeing such a um, avalanche. It's almost like a tsunami of ransomware attacks happening right now. Yeah, I think the um, ransomware attacks are up 500% since the start of the pandemic. That's crazy. And what breaks my heart is seeing where the attacks are happening. You know, the, the cyber criminals are going after schools and hospitals and uh, government and municipal organizations that are the ones we need helping our kids and our families and our cities and our communities through COVID. And they're the ones under attack. So it's really quite tragic. Um, yeah, it is. It is. But you're absolutely right. I mean, there was such a rush to get to COVID that security was set aside. It was forgotten in the first wave, for sure. Yeah. Are very, very temporary band-aids were put in place. And some of them are really clunky, like forcing people to use a VPN to, to get access to their applications. Um, and, and, and just when organizations started to kind of get on top of this, the second big thing happened, the chip shortage, the global yeah. chip shortage, which meant that companies had to finally front up to the fact that employees were using personal devices, not company devices, because they simply couldn't get them enough company devices. And so companies had to embrace BYOD, bring your own device in a whole new way that previously might've been swept under the rug because it's an inconvenient truth that many companies didn't want to confront. But during COVID, people had to really deal with the fact that employees are using personal MacBook or a personal Windows machine, and maybe a personal iPad, and maybe a personal smartphone to do their work. And so it, it, it became really, really acute 
during COVID, how much risk organizations were taking with their employees working from home on personal devices, connecting over a domestic internet connection that yeah. they're probably sharing right. with. Or, or Starbucks or McDonald's. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> right. and, and, and that domestic internet is probably shared with the TikTok generation and the Fortnite generation, oh, yeah. the YouTubers and, and all the rest of it. And you're asking those people to deal with company information all day, every day. Yeah. So the risk profile went way up for many organizations. And 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 we've we've seen that. Um, our customers are calling us saying, How did I get hacked? Well, I, we trace it back to a Starbucks in San Diego. How's that sound, right? <laughs> That's where it all started. That's where it all started. Yeah. Your your latest hacks. Um, what, I mean, what, what do you do? I mean, how do you, how do you prevent this from happening? How can, if I'm a CIO, I've already got my team working remote or hybrid, right? They're coming in the office or going and they're working remote. They're starting to travel again, travel starting to tick up. What do I do? How, how do I, how do I unclose Pandora's box? So it's been opened. I think the, the number one thing that organizations can do is get away from using passwords. So Whoa, wait. we start the wait. passwords <laughs> are, are sacrosanct. Everyone knows you need a password, right? Well, you don't. And here is the interesting thing. So passwords were a fantastic invention in 1961, 1961. But we found out in 2021 that they were the primary reason organizations are getting hacked and ransomed and compromised. Interesting. Because most attacks start with a compromised password. That's where they start. And that's yeah, happening primarily in from a phishing attack, right? There you go. Yeah. Yep. And it's happening in business, but recently now it's happening in social media. So some influencers are having their accounts hijacked and then they have to pay a ransom to get their account back. Man. It's quite, quite tragic. But in business, if you think about what's happening, we've done the research on this. Knowledge workers today have a ridiculous number of passwords. Yes. A whole bunch in their work lives and they have a whole bunch in their personal lives. And... Only 31% of people use a password management tool, okay? Another 31% write their work passwords in a personal journal. Their work passwords in a personal journal. Yeah. And another 24% write their work passwords on a notes application on their personal smartphone. <laughs> That's right. You can see where this is going, right? Oh, yeah. Password hygiene is very poor. The way people manage their passwords. And then because we're humans, we can't remember long, complex passwords with alphanumeric characters, and we can't change them on every 90 days. We're human. We're lazy. So we find hacks and we find shortcuts. Yeah, we and come up with patterns that we reuse over and over. There you go. We use patterns. And the BBC did a great study last year. They found that 15% of the British population used their pet's name as the basis for the password pattern. <laughs> At 6%, use the word password. There you go. <laughs> so as a society, we have a problem where yeah. we've got too many passwords. We can manage them all. We're being lazy in the way we're creating new passwords. And something like two-thirds of people admit that they find easy, that they choose their passwords based on making them easy to remember. Yeah, so, yeah, absolutely. So, we, so we've all got this problem. Too many passwords going on. 
And then there's this bleed, the overlap between your personal passwords and your work passwords. And so if the bad guys get hold of one of your passwords, you're toast. But it's the beginning of the end because then they yeah. can get to something else and something else. And ultimately, if they can get to an account where, where they can reset your email, where they can get, your, get into your email, then they can reset all your passwords. And now they've got you. They can lock you out of all your own accounts and identity. And Well, you know, something like that actually happened to me recently um, where uh-huh. I got hacked or I thought I got hacked. My pass, password uh, got yeah. hacked. And because I got a notification, something's changed. And I went, whoa. And I immediately shut down everything. And it turns out it was my son. He was logged onto the, the computer in the kitchen that we have where I, I was logged on and did not log out. And he went to go change his password and changed mine. Ah, and so you got a notification that somebody had reset your password. Yeah, someone reset my password. Whoa. So I, you know, it took me <clears throat> about 30 minutes after I locked everything down to, to figure out who was on this computer, <laughs> you know, and my 15-year-old son says, I was dad. I changed my password. And I said, no, you didn't. <laughs> you changed mine. Um, so yeah, passwords, this is, this is a major problem. So what would you do instead? I mean, I also have multi-factor authentication on everything. Good. But do, can I do just multi-factor authentication with no password? Can I no, get away can't. from, you can't. No, there's, there's three parts. There's three parts of the puzzle. Okay. And most organizations are probably closer than they think. So the first part is biometrics. So if you think about it, if you're an iPhone user, you pick up your phone, it scans your face, it takes about 300,000 readings from your face, and it says, hey, this is Darren. And it logs you in immediately to the operating system. That's the first part, biometrics. And that's now possible on laptops and on all our devices. So yeah. embracing biometrics is step one. So let's say you just did that. You're, you're, you're logged on to the operating system of your iPhone. Then all the applications where you have single sign-on, you also get immediate access to the application. So you can open those apps. The same can happen on a laptop. You look at, say, a Windows Surface machine that scans your face, logs you into Windows, then takes you immediately into your Office 365 applications. And any third-party apps where you've got that kind of federated identity, you're signed in. Right. So that's a great start. But then you also do need two-factor authentication. And so we think the future will be combination of biometrics on all our devices, um, single sign-on for all our modern applications. Still can't do that with some legacy fat client applications. Right. And two-factor authentication everywhere. And the two-factor is getting smarter and smarter, where it's becoming less tedious than entering a six-digit code. It might just be you know, touching a number on the screen or clicking, yes, it's me, or something like that. Right. So, so ultimately, we can reduce the number of passwords and then eventually oh, that get would away be, from them. That would be awesome, right? I mean, yeah. and I've even seen this with uh, like my GitHub account that I have. There's no password anymore, right? It's using two-factor authentication um, to do that. And now there's uh, authentication keys that are there. I still have to worry about protecting those keys, but I yeah. no longer have a password written down. So. Yeah. I, I see some of the SaaS offerings are moving in that direction. They are. They are. And, and, and modern authentication is, is, is really at the forefront. Um, it's top priority for many organizations. So we love to see more and more people go passwordless. 
and, and, and along the way, reduce the number of pastors they're using significantly. And, and if you're an organization that can't get to passwordless authentication yet, and you know, big organizations, there are many impediments. There's legacy identity infrastructure, legacy applications. They might have old devices that don't have biometrics. You know, they don't right, have the infrared right. camera. They don't have an encryption chip. Then my advice is always to get a password management tool in the interim where you've got one super strong password. It can be like a phrase, and that is the, the password to get into the vault. And then all your websites, all your applications, all your accounts are in that vault. Gotcha. Yeah, and, and, and that makes sense. Yeah. Right. Much because better than I'm, writing the passwords in a personal journal. And this is going to be very interesting to watch these kids grow up because my kids have a Chromebook for school. Um, and then they've got their accounts that I've set up for them on Google and also uh, we just moved to Microsoft. So now they're all in, um, you know, Office 365 and those passwords are different and the authentications are different and they're memorizing these passwords and they're starting to come up using these patterns, right? Um, so, yeah, and, and there's no way the schools are going to coordinate and do single sign-on with, with uh, personal accounts that they have. Um, no. And, and they're all getting jobs too, right? So they, they have this password problem themselves. It's, it's a big problem for, for teenagers and, uh, and young adults. Well, we've surveyed um, industry on this by generation. And Gen Z has the most passwords. That's oh, really I, I bet. So early 20s, the people, primarily the, the, the kids who joined the workforce during the pandemic, and here's what's really interesting. Many of them were onboarded remotely during the pandemic. Yeah. And they've got the most passwords. That's so fascinating. It is. It is. And when you think about it, they, they came out of college, they joined a company working remotely. In some cases, they've never met their employer because yeah. they're just working yeah. remotely. And pre-pandemic, they never knew office-based work culture like we did. Right. You know, we worked in offices. We had all the, the benefits of having lots of loose connections and knowing what's going on in the company, going for lunches, going for beers on a Friday, all the social things that happen in a work environment. Gen Z has not experienced them yet. And they're dealing with you know, a ton of passwords, as we've been talking about, and a whole bunch of other issues. So they've got a very unique lens in the way they assess their employer. Yeah, they absolutely do, don't they? I mean... Yeah, there's a lot of intangible. So what, again, I'm going to start moving to hybrid in my organization. If I'm a CIO, I've got, I've onboarded a bunch of Gen Z in the last year and a half, two years. Culture's already starting to sink in. How do I get these guys back? How do I get them into the office? Because now we're hearing people going, I'm never going back to the office. I'll just quit my job. I'm like, that's unheard of. And I'm an ex gener right? I, you're going to quit your job because they make you go to work? I don't understand. Well, here's the really interesting thing. The research we've done shows that people have a preference to work from home, but across all industries, people believe they're actually more productive in an office setting. Yes. Which is a crazy dilemma. So everyone's saying, I want to work from home and stay at home forever. But actually, just quietly, they feel they were more productive in the office. 
That's a really interesting dichotomy for the employer. Do you try and force these people to come back to the office? And and if you do, by the way, the the, the research tells us that 67% of Gen Z think other companies are doing a better job providing technology to their employees. So if we push Gen Z or try and pull them into the office, guess what? Those are just Exactly. And that's part of the what's happening with the great resignation. Choice. People have so much choice. And changing a job nowadays doesn't mean changing your commute or anything. It just means taking a new laptop out of a box and putting your old laptop into a box and sending it off to an address. Yeah, but you sit at the same desk and you look yeah. at the same monitor all day. So, so do you think the technology that's provided to employees matters then? I mean, is that a big deal for a lot of employees then? The technology matters for sure. The technology experience matters more. Mm, I like that. So what we found through the research was that it takes on average three days to get a laptop fully configured for a remote worker. Three days. It's only two days for an office-based worker. And for a remote worker, they need to raise three service desk tickets to get it all sorted. So their experience is clunky and it's painful. And they don't like the stigma of having to raise IT tickets and ask for help. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a problem maker. I, I can't figure this out on my own. Right. Yeah. All, all the yeah, all the stigma that goes with it. I, I get that. Yeah. So, I mean, how do you fix that problem? The best way to fix that problem is to simplify the process in the first place. And, and we're big fans of zero touch provisioning, which is the process of getting the technology configured so you can drop ship devices to a remote employee. It could be a laptop, tablet, and a smartphone. The employee unboxes the device. Nobody else has touched it beforehand. And they sign in with their work credentials and the device auto-configures or self-configures and downloads your applications, installs your files and folders that you need for your job. Takes about 15, 20 minutes, but then you've got everything you need. And when that's purposefully set up for remote workers, it works really well. And that zero-touch provisioning works for... Windows, MacBooks, iPads, iPhones, Androids. That's that's the way to do it well. And everything's working in about an hour. So, I mean, that sounds great. In reality, there's a lot of work that goes in up front to make that happen, right? There is. There is. And that's a lot of the work we do working with clients and helping them get gotcha. that configuration working so that when they do drop ship their devices or buy the next pallet load of machines and, and give them to their users that they all light up and self-configure, pull down their applications from the cloud, install everything remotely. So that IT people don't have to take the device out of the box, don't have to manually configure it, don't have to repackage it and ship it out to the, the employee. And, and that, that makes sense. I mean, when, when I get a new laptop at home, um, I've never, I haven't owned a laptop in 30 years. My own. Isn't that horrible? Yeah. Right? Because your employer provides it. My employer always always provides it, but my wife and my kids have laptops. When I get those, they're working within an hour. Everything's downloaded. Everything's working. So you're right. Why isn't that the case at uh, my work laptop? Which you're right. Two to three days. That's about what it is. And, and, it, and it's painful. And there's lost productivity and there's frustration. And there's, it's a demoralizing experience for, for the remote worker yeah. who doesn't know these people in IT. 
has perhaps never had the experience of getting walk-up support from IT. Yeah, and that's interesting because this is your first impression of your company that you're working for. Brand new st- <laughs> and, and they don't have their act together. They can't even give me a laptop that connects yeah. to yeah. you know, the stuff I need to do at work. So I watched a very interesting episode recently with um, a president of a company. It took about three, four days for him to get his kids sorted out. And it required many service desk calls and escalations. And they were telling him, okay, you need to uninstall this application now. Then you need to reset your password. Then you need to download this. Then you, there's a new profile we're going to push out. Then we're going to delete this. And I'm watching this like, oh, my God. You know, how to set that president off in the wrong way. Get them started on the, the on the back foot in that organization. How to get fired as an IT <laughs> service the CEO and tell him he has to uninstall something and yes, yeah, and, and, and it was multiple times and resetting passwords and all the two factor and it was it was I was watching this and went oh my god um, yeah very what frustrating a, what a nightmare that, that's a yeah. nightmare for sure yeah. So what advice do you have for a, C, a CIO um, on how to, get, how to get started with this? These are great ideas, right? Um, password management or getting rid of passwords, um, creating profiles so I can quickly you know, turn things up. What other advice do you have for um, a CIO that's trying to navigate this, this new world that, that we live in? I think... CIOs are going to learn a huge amount by studying two particular cohorts in their organization. One is Gen Z. They're an interesting bunch. They bring different attitudes, different perceptions, in particular around security and privacy. And their behaviors are different in the workplace. And I don't think any CIO is going to change the attitudes and perceptions of of that generation. And that generation are now flooding into the workforce. And, you know, in summertime, there's going to be a whole bunch more that will graduate and join the workforce. And over the next five years, Gen Z will pretty much take over a lot of the tech roles, tech savvy roles in organizations, because they're coming out of colleges with their degrees. So I think CIOs and organizations will learn a lot by watching and listening and observing and learning from Gen Z, because eventually they will be the bosses. They will be running the show. And, and understanding what they value, what they prioritize, because it's different to us. So Gen Z sees personal privacy as that's their primary lens in an organization. It's not security. They're almost four to one. So four to one uh, Gen Z people will prioritize their personal privacy over company security. I find that fascinating because Gen Z is all over the place sharing stuff on social media that you're not supposed to share, right? You're right. So when, that's a, it's almost like this weird dichotomy, right? I mean, they're like, my personal privacy is extremely important. And I have Gen Z kids. I do. I got yeah. two graduating yeah. um, next month. And yeah, their personal privacy is all, all about that. But they're, you know, they're posting things on TikTok and Instagram. And yeah. I'm yeah. like, whoa, I... Yeah, this doesn't make sense. It's, it's, it's really hard for us to understand. It's really hard. 
but but the data is crystal clear. When we ask them, how often do you see a security policy at work? They will tell us, and not draw the service, they hardly ever see one. How often do you see security awareness training? They're kind of invisible to it. But then when we ask them, how often do you see a privacy policy at work? Oh, yes. All the time. They've noticed those. And so they're hyper aware. They're hyper aware to privacy policies and training, any mention of privacy in the workplace. And they're completely blind to corporate security initiatives. So my advice to CIOs is learn from that and position privacy and security as two sides of the same coin. And when you're providing security awareness training or articulating policies or explaining changes, frame it under the umbrella of privacy. Interesting. I like that. We want to protect your privacy as an employee. Your data is sacrosanct. And your your colleagues' data is precious. We want to protect all your data. And likewise, by extension, our patients' data, student data, citizen data, client data. It's all about protecting your data. And I believe if CIOs frame it under the umbrella of privacy and position privacy and security as two sides of the same coin, they will get Gen Z on board. I like, I actually really like that. that that's that's a brilliant. All right. So that was one. You said there were that two. That was one. The second is remote workers. And they're a fascinating lot too. Or we are a fascinating lot because uh, yeah, we, <laughs> right? we are part of that cohort. And all the research we've done shows that shadow IT is being driven and accelerated by remote workers. So remote workers in their home office, thousand miles away from headquarters and an IT team that they never met are finding applications and storage mechanisms and ways of communicating and collaborating that their companies don't know about. Mm. And there's two big things going on. Um, amazing blurring of the lines between personal and work. So we always knew that people were using personal devices for work. There's BYOD. Now we know that people are taking their work devices and using them for personal stuff. And you won't believe this, but 46% of people let their family members play with their work devices. That's a total I can see that. Data. I can see you that. You can see that. Yeah. And then almost half of people told us that they find their company's security policies to be too restrictive. And about a third have said they've already found ways to work around their security policies. <laughs> and almost two-thirds told us they actually find that they're more efficient when they can use uh, consumer-grade apps like Gmail and Dropbox. So if you're a CIO, my advice would be engage remote workers in any future product decisions you're making. Bring them into the tent because they're the ones who will pressure test your collaboration tools, your storage tools, your applications, your authentication process faster and harder than anyone who's based in an office. And if they're part of the decision-making process. So I truly believe CIOs will will learn and adapt fastest by involving Gen Z in crafting policies and communication, involving remote workers in selecting the next generation of products and services that people use. Uh, Great, great, great advice. And I think think you're right. This is a, this black swan moment that we had with COVID has, culturally shifted so fast that I think a lot of CIOs are, I don't know what to do. And I I think you hit it on the nose. Um, You know, move forward. You've got to engage your remote workers. And I love the Gen Z. It's going to be fun watching these kids, you know, come up into high tech. It's going to be fascinating. 
it's fascinating. And we just have to respect the fact that they're different. They're the only generation alive that cannot remember 9-11. 9-11 profoundly changed everyone's mindset on the globe, except, except Gen Z. Yeah. They, were, they were alive, but they were too young to remember. Yeah, so yeah, they, have right. not been, they have not been mentally disturbed like the rest of us by that <laughs> event and the series of events. They were just, you know, playing. And they've come into the workforce with, with a different worldview and different expectations. Yeah, very, very, very true. Well, hey, Dennis, this has been great talking to you. Very insightful stuff. If people want to learn more about um, Mobile Mentor and what you guys do, where do they find out more information? You can go to mobile-mentor.com. That's mobile-mentor.com. Right. That's our company. And we help organizations get that right balance between security and productivity, specifically for remote workers. That's what our company can do. But if you want to know about the research we did, we've got a separate website where we're sharing all the research free. Oh, great. With the words to educate and inform. And that's called the endpointecosystem.com endpointecosystem.com. Okay. What, that, what that research did was it, we were seeking to understand what's going on in the home office environment of all these remote workers because they've got all these devices that are running applications and they're signing in and they're managing their passwords and then they need support every now and again. What's, what's it like? What's a day, in the, a day in the life of a remote office worker? Uh, so a remote worker like? And that study went deep into that endpoint ecosystem. And we're sharing that because we just want to help educate and inform the world of what's going on and what they can learn from it and, and help avoid the next wave of cyber attacks and, and try and avoid people resigning and leaving their organizations in frustration. Right. So um, this, is, this is great information. Anyone that's listening, go ahead and um, go to our website, embracingdigital.org. You'll find the links to uh, the study. Um, great, uh, great information, Dennis. Thank you so much. Thank you, Darren. Such a privilege to be on your show. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Embracing Digital Transformation today. If you enjoyed our podcast, give it five stars on your favorite podcasting site or YouTube channel. You can find out more information about Embracing Digital Transformation at Embracing Digital. Dot org. Until next time, go out and do something wonderful.